0: Welcome, Lisha.
1: Hello, Hi, thank Lisa. you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
0: We're so happy you're here uh, with us in cyberspace. You are in Dublin, I'm in Toronto, and Amy is in Vancouver. Vancouver. Yay! <laughs> Three different time zones.
2: Yes, it's hard a- to coordinate, but we did it.
1: We did it. It's just on uh, 4 30 here, and I can tell you it's already starting to get dark. <laughs> I know,
0: it's that time wow. of year isn't it mm-hmm. the leaves are are here now vancouver has kind of a nicer climate in many ways milder um what's yeah. going on over there
1: um it's rained about four times today so that's <laughs> fairly typical for this time of year um, and sounds
2: like vancouver
1: yeah it's fairly mild i mean but then the sun does come out too it's a really um it's a very changeable climate here, you know, we mm-hmm. say like four seasons in one day and that's true for every season of the year, I think. Wow. I'd love to
0: get over to Dublin, hoping to get there someday in the near future. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Let's go there. We'll all meet in person. Maybe COVID,
1: ha- we can have some kind of conference.
0: I know that's okay. what we're all talking about now. We're saying like, when can we all get together? To um, see each other in person and have a big turf fest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> turf it up not- real good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, of course, turf is a slur, so we're not going to use that anymore. Um, Leisha, we're, we're allowed to use it for ourselves. Yes, we are. We've reclaimed
1: yeah. it. We, we think, reclaimed, exactly.
0: I I think that I think that's fair enough. I think every, all the other groups get to reclaim their slurs, so we should be allowed exactly. to as well. Um, Lisha. I was so um, delighted that you got in touch on Twitter with us to let us know. Of course, as soon as you launched um, The Countess Didn't Fight For This, we were all very excited that Ireland was representing and, um, and we've been watching you've, 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 you, you've know, hit the ground running. Um, but, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and, uh, how you came to the movement and, and what got you riled?
1: Um, well, I would say, um, kind of going back to my childhood, um, I was always, you know, that child thinking, Hey, wait a minute, that's not fair. You know, I had that sensibility, and I remember being, um, and maybe this is like a pivotal moment, but I remember being around 10, maybe nine. And I went to this tiny, tiny school in the countryside in rural Ireland, like really rural. I mean, just a shop and a church and a crossroads. And it was a two teacher school and the headmaster had taught my father. So it was really kind of old fashioned setup, and only the boys were allowed to go outside and switch on the boiler to turn on the heating. And it was seen as like a really, you know, cool thing to get to do. Mm -hmm. And I questioned this and I said, how come the girl, it's not a girl's job. Why is it a boy's job? And um, I don't think I won, (laughs) but I remember that being a really, um, a clear memory of me saying, wait a minute, why is that just a boy's job? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just kind of, I suppose I grew up in a household where we talked a lot about ideas and politics and, you know, that was the discussion around the table. Um, and then I suppose in my teens, I got really into um, just reading all the the core feminist books and texts. Um, oh, I mean, wow. no one really showed them to me. I think my mom was reading Greer. And so I started reading her. And then, like, it wasn't like I ever studied it on an academic level, but I just was a big um, reader anyway. So I read. And I was in an all-girls school. And um, that book... Um, by Marilyn French was passed around from uh, girl to girl, the women's room. I don't know if you know that book, yes, but it was like, do. like it was like the Bible, you know, and it was just yeah. passed from, from girl to girl when we were about 17. Um, and so I just had a real consciousness kind of raising uh, throughout my mid to late teens. And then when I was in college, I wrote for the feminist literary review. So it's just always been the bedrock of my life, I suppose. Um, it's how I view the world. Um, and even, you know, in that time, which I guess you, you're my age where, you know, in the 90s, it was really a bad time to be a feminist. I mean, Absolutely. it was just not spoken <laughs> yeah. out loud. It was all about um, ladism. I don't know if that came to Canada, but, you know, kind of about being a babe um, and mm. being a ladette, being one of the boys. Yeah. Um, I think that does translate as well stateside. You see it in lots of movies, actually, don't you? Yeah, no, that, yeah, that was the girl here. girl drinks beer and listens to and laughs at all the jokes of the men. Well, it's still but
0: going was- on with people like yeah. Amy Schumer, right? It's like I can yeah. be just as gross as the boys. I can be just as drunk yeah. as the boys. I can sleep around yeah. like the boys. You know, I mean, it's still I'm going on. Not like on. other girls. Yeah, and no, I'm not like other girls, and that it's, it's all part of the same thing. And now we're calling it, uh, I've heard it being called dick pandering. Um, mm-hmm, that's another yeah. <laughs> ladism, you know, it's kind of kind of all of the same theme, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then um, in terms of sort of what got me involved currently, um, there was like a few things. I didn't have one single um, moment, but it was kind of like, you know, a few little um, red flags or things that made me stop and go, what? Is that really the case? Is that really true? And one thing was, um, I don't know if it made the press over there, but there was a protest. I was living in London at the time and there was a protest uh, during um, Pride, London Pride 2018. And these uh, lesbians lay down on the ground before the beginning of the Pride March and they were protesting um, the cotton ceiling, which they called out as rape culture yeah and they had these old-fashioned like cardboard signs hand-painted um and they lay down as well which i saw was such a um powerful symbol of just kind of peaceful protest yeah and all around there were these kind of like flags and you know sponsored by all the different corporate giants and mm-hmm. banks and mm-hmm. lots of privileged young men mostly and but the way it was framed particularly in the media in london really really um made me sit up and pay attention because it was, even our Lord Mayor at the time, clearly had just been given, you know, a briefing by one of the trans activists. Mm-hmm. And he just said, we have no room for hate in London Pride. Wow, they're and all I just from the oh, same whoa, wrong
0: here. Leisha, we have the same in Toronto, same hymn book. They're reading for, from yeah. that, singing from it. Um, same there in Vancouver, right, Amy? Like
2: For sure, and uh, Planned Parenthood in Toronto, Um, held an event called uh, Overcoming the Cotton Ceiling for trans women. So even, you know, cotton ceiling in and of itself is such a horrible term, but then to also say, you know, hold an event to help trans women overcome the cotton ceiling. That was
0: one of my peak trans moments. Was it? Yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah. And to think it started in Toronto, that whole thing you know of the cotton ceiling um the term itself and then uh, doing seminars i mean it's so organized to the point of you know it's it's repulsive um how entrenched the rape culture is and i mean when you want to talk about rape culture this really truly is because it is so formalized
2: yeah yeah and that you can't you know i think that anyone should be able to understand what the term means and then you would think that a reasonable person would be horrified by it Um, and I think you can see the fear that people have when trans activists have managed to convince them that it's hateful to speak out against concealing.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think as well like it's just so insidious that a whole generation of young women and in particular young lesbians are like their conditioning to be kind is being harnessed against them, weaponized against them. Yep. Yeah. It's just so insidious. I find that so um so chilling really it is. It
0: really is. And so that was 2018 that you went to Pride and you witnessed that, um, Lisha, and then did that really things. got you thinking or there was a few yeah. there were a few other things
1: yeah well that you know the way you you fall down the rabbit hole but for me it didn't happen immediately you know that was one thing that made me kind of think about this and want to learn more and then there was this um um banker called philip bunce mm-hmm. and he won the um, financial times women in business he got mm-hmm. on the list, um, <laughs> banker for Credit Suisse I mean you know he's the he's a director like he's in his early 40s he probably has 2.2 children so he's used white male um privilege thus far and 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 then is clearly um, a part-time cross-dresser but everyone in his office had to refer to him you know with the correct pronoun half the Mm -hmm. week yeah
0: um
1: and I just thought what I mean it really infuriated me actually and then of course Maya's case and that did make the mainstream Mm. press yeah. Um, only a tiny, I mean, I, could, I remember looking through the papers to find coverage of it. You know, it got a tiny little, tiny column, but it did make me think, wow, something is going on here. And around that mm-hmm. time, I think I just really fell down the rabbit hole. Like I couldn't stop reading. I couldn't stop thinking about this. The more I read, the more I understood, the worse it got. It didn't get better. Yeah. I, I was more and more horrified. And I think a lot of people share that trajectory you know Um, and you come out the other side kind of shell-shocked I would say but um, you know you want to mobilize as well. Yeah you you really do. Um, I'm
2: curious then so you really got your start in feminism when you were quite young I find that impressive so kind of in between the years where you were reading the feminist texts and then kind of realizing that there was something going on with trans activism, were you involved in any kind of feminist organizing in between?
1: No, I mean, I have to say I did, youth spent uh, very well going to raves. (laughs) (laughs) No, I was like, I was pretty, uh, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't that involved in my early twenties. For me, and I I really, I see this a lot actually, um, it was motherhood that radicalized me really. Mm. because it was through motherhood that I really felt my biology and I felt um you know and I see that so so often when younger women will say I don't want to be defined by my by, by biology how dare you demean me in that way and it's not that it defines you but of course it is your story you know it is it you know and, and I think female life is so episodic you know when before you have children you just cannot imagine what it's like to have children and and yeah. I don't know if this is true for everyone's, this may not be everyone's experience, but it's certainly mine and my sister's and a few of my close friends where your partner goes back to work. You've had your first baby and you realize like his life has not really changed, but you cannot even have a shower or even go to the loo. Because <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I do think that that realization yeah. where suddenly you were living this life, which yeah. was um, by all intents and purposes equal. And suddenly you're, forced back into by some weird wormhole back to the 1950s and you cannot believe it. It's quite, kind of quite existential, that shock. And I think that is the route to radicalization for a lot of women, you know, um, it sort of toughens you up. You see the wood for the trees a lot in, in, in many ways. That's true. And in fact, my venture into
2: this actually coincided with my first pregnancy, which I hadn't necessarily linked the two, but I do, um, I do think that there is a connection there.
1: And it's funny as well, because I've always said this, and I don't know if you guys will agree, but I think one of the things that was missing from feminism really was um, the value of mothering, motherhood to women. You know, it was always seen as, oh, you were doing almost the work of patriarchy if you deigned to stay at home and have children and raise them. Yeah. Actually, I look at it very differently. I mean, it was the making of me. I have to say it was the making of me. Um, it sort of gave me a, a strength and a core. Um, and even on a really silly level, like you lose all sense of embarrassment. Like you just don't care. <laughs> <most>. So true. <laughs> you, know, I, like, you end like up like doing if you talk, things, you're <laughs> just caught in the bus at the door, you're getting off with a buggy and you have a toddler and a small child. You yeah. will scream at that bus driver to yeah. open the door. I mean, you just don't care. <laughs> <I know. laughs> I know Absolutely. the, and the indignities that we
0: suffer, right. By yeah. you know, just the very fact yeah. of having to go and be medicalized for giving birth and everything. And,
1: yeah. you know, yes, um, that's true. That's,
0: it's, true. It, that's the beginning of it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then, and then you go from there and um, you know, doing things you never would have imagined like screaming at the bus driver or, you know, <laughs> um, um, uh, whipping out your breasts to feed your child because they're hungry and who cares, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um, you know, it is, it's tra- It's a transformational experience, um, having a child. And uh, it's mm-hmm. um, not something that I ever dreamt of when I was a girl because I was a tomboy. Yeah. And I, I- said, I'm, yeah. never ha- I'm never getting married and I'm never having children. And then I hit 25 and I met my future husband. <laughs> And then I had a I had a uh, um, yeah, and then I had a child, and you know it all seemed like the right thing to be doing. You can't possibly know when you're a child, which is really really sad for these girls who are making these huge decisions right now about their future. You really can't, yeah. know, you know, how you're going to feel when you're 25, 30. I personally don't really believe that you really get into your personality fully until you're at least 30.
2: Yeah. I agree. I definitely agree with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think, um, I, I think in some ways you're shedding the, the sort of um, and maybe motherhood helps with that. You're sort of shedding the self-consciousness of girlhood all the way through, aren't you? And then, you know, yeah. and I, I often think as well, it's as you start to disappear um, from the male gaze that you start to really come into mm-hmm. your power. And I wonder are the two things linked, you know? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I think so. This reminds me of when, this was before I became a mother and I remember seeing this poster in my city and it was quite puzzling. So it was advertising a women's meetup group. Um, I was new to my city at the time. So I was, uh, my interest was piqued and I had a look at it and I'm reading through and I see in big block letters that it said, open to anyone who identifies as a woman. And then kind of in smaller disclaimer size letters at the bottom, it said that there were no children allowed to attend their meetings. Um, So this this was long before I peaked trans, but it was definitely, I think it planted a seed in my mind because it just really boggles to, you know, to have a women's meetup group and children aren't allowed.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, um, that's one of the things I, I really um, struggle with about um, this whole gender ideology and um, is that there's a kind of real um, dichotomy of on one hand, womanhood is the lipstick, the high heels, the dress. But yeah. on the other hand, on the other hand, you know, our entire existence, biology, lived experience is erased. So it's like a double edged sword, you know? it's yeah. Insulting on every level. Um, yeah, very yeah much. but I do think, I, I do think um, it's a pity that, that, that motherhood wasn't centered more on feminism, because I think that's one of the reasons among many that we are where we are. It I is a very her. gratifying
0: experience. You know, I mean, there's so much of it that's so heartbreaking and difficult and frustrating. And I had a very long postpartum depression that wasn't diagnosed because I was so bloody minded that I kept going to work and and carrying on and smiling and doing everything that I and I wasn't lying on the floor and I wasn't staying in bed and things like that. So it went undiagnosed. There's a lot of pain in motherhood. Um, but but ultimately, I mean, I see the day I gave birth to my son as like the most significant day in my entire life. Yeah. It was just like, it's, it's crystallized in my brain and my heart. It's really interesting.
2: It does, it divides your life into before and after.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's not like being a slave to your children or your husband or your partner or your wife because you're... You know, um, it, it's not, I, 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 yeah, to, to focus on that is, is kind of doing it a disservice. It, it really is a very gratifying thing, you know, and it is, and it helps you. It's, it's character building. It's all, it's all kind of, it's fun. It's, you know, mm-hmm. it's interesting. It's engaging. Um, it's a lot of different things. I think that's a really good point, Lisha. Yeah,
1: yeah, I just think that others should be supported more in, by society, Rather than being erased, and that's what we're seeing now. We have um, there's a, a charity that specifically was set up to help bereaved parents, um, especially mothers who have had stillbirths or um, neonatal deaths, and um, so they have erased the word mother from their, um we're All of the so website. much of that
0: now, like all yeah. over. It's like the memo went out, and they all started doing it. And it all started happening at the same time. I mean, we're highlighting it on the the Cosbar Twitter, um, mm-hmm. and and showing all of the uh, the instances of it happening. And it's it's quite, and it's it's it only goes one way. There's, they don't do this for the men.
2: I can't imagine no. how devastating it would feel to be going through a stillbirth and to. Not be recognized as a mother, or not, you know, be discouraged from referring to yourself as a mother. That would just well, add pain on. Yeah, top.
1: I mean, there was a huge, huge, huge outpouring of, um, I would call it constructive criticism, but it was incredibly heartfelt because these were all mothers, um, and you know, it came from the heart. But then there was a backlash to that, saying these are turfs and they're using. Ugh. They're using and um, they're exploiting Jeez. grief and bereavement to, for transphobia. And you just think, oh, Mark, it, there's no depths you can sink to. I mean, yeah. this is not about you. This is about the real grief of real mothers.
0: Yeah. Um, it's a very so narcissistic um, movement, the whole gender ideology movement. It's just, it's just the foundation of it is narcissism.
1: Yeah, and I read this thing um, yesterday that really resonated with me. And, you know, this person was saying, look, we write letters and we write emails and we have meetings and we're incredibly plight and we try and use facts and reasoning. And they organize massive, massive pylons and they call name call and they do no debate and um, they smear and slur and and they, they are winning. You know, well, they're not winning, but they're yeah. certainly making ground, and it's because those tactics are the tactics of a narcissist, and it's funny. They certainly are collectively. Yep. Yeah,
0: yeah. So tell me, tell us about um, um, the countess. Didn't fight for this first of all. I let let's talk about the countess uh, Markowitz, if I'm saying that correctly.
1: Yes. Um,
0: yes. I I just um, I actually uh, told my. My son's girlfriend. The other day, I said I'm going to be uh, interviewing for the podcast a, um, a feminist from Dublin, and and the name of the uh, and, and and mentioned Countess Markowitz. And she said, um, obviously, immediately she knew exactly who that was. But over here, we don't know who the Countess was, and what a fascinating character. Can you tell us a little bit more about her?
1: Yes, I can. Um, we decided she would be our um, sort of figurehead. Um, she's incredibly inspiring, and she's a, she, an iconic in Ireland in Irish history. So she was born in utter luxury and privilege, uh, very close to Buckingham Palace. Yeah. But like a lot of her, um, people of her class, they were they're called the ascendancy. So they were the aristocrats who would have had huge estates in Ireland. So she would have split her time between London and this vast estate called Lisadell. And she was childhood friends with um, William Yeats, the poet. Mm. And so she grew up in a really um, typical sort of lifestyle for a woman of her um, class, which would have been lots of deportment classes and a governess. And uh, she was an incredible horsewoman. Um, and then she got involved in the suffragettes movement and then in socialism and was sort of radicalized, I suppose, by the lockout in um, Dublin. And by the time 1916 came along, she was a commanding officer in the uprising, the Easter uprising. Um, And so she had really transgressed every possible barrier of gender, of class, of race. And from that point on, her life is very episodic. From that point on, she was involved in politics. So she went, so initially, um, so they were all rounded up and sentenced to death and so was she but because of her sex she was pardoned and given a life sentence so, and then when she was in um, jail she ran for government and she won a seat and she became the first ever female minister she was a um, um, minister for labor wow fascinating of a modern democracy Um yeah and she was incredibly popular and she um, and she was in government then for five more sessions and Eventually, though, she died at a very young age, um, in her fifties, in poverty on the public ward of a hospital. And by that stage, the man that she had set up um, this new party, Fina Fall with um, was, I I think, keen to kind of erase her from history, or her part, and was trying to rewrite history to make her sort of a lady philanthropist, let's say, and people weren't having that. But at the time of her death, um, she wasn't given a state funeral. And she was just laid in state in the hospital where, you know, nearby. But then the people of Dublin all came out and lined the streets. And there's incredible archive footage of, you know, almost half a million people lining the streets of Dublin. Dublin's a small city. I mean, there's only a million people Mm -hmm. currently. And they kind of insert, insert. So um, it was an incredible tribute to her. And she's, you know, in particular as well, because like with a lot of revolutions, the part that women play, you know, when the dust settles, the the powers that be try to erase that. Uh Or they try to sort of sanitize it or play it down. Mm. In fact, she was a military leader and a socialist um, and a feminist. And And she's very unifying because she, you know, regardless of your um, traditional background or outlook, people just adore her, you know, and particularly because, you know, we have statues and monuments and bridges and roads and streets to all the male leaders she was sort of overlooked but just much much loved erased yes
0: which is what we're fighting against now i've seen the photos of her and she she looked like a fierce woman Mm. very refined and yet very um very strong and uh and yeah what 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 an amazing life and and what an inspiration
1: and what we- an absolute badass woman! <laughs> honestly, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, the trans activists activists do try and trans her, but uh, uh, oh, do oh, they?
0: <gasps> oh, yeah. There's nothing sacred. Oh my goodness. Uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not surprised. I'm just disgusted.
1: But I guess if you follow gender ideology to its logical conclusion, it's not possible for a woman, you know, to be both a kind of hostess a society. Uh, and also a military leader (laughs) right because uh, she was -hmm. was non-binary i guess yeah Yeah,
0: well the 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 stereotypes uh must be reinforced at all times for the narrative of gender ideology to be upheld you know i mean how can you possibly um how could you possibly be a rifle woman i mean that you that that that's that's male behavior isn't it uh, you know if you're a sharpshooter yeah. like that and whatever never mind in the olympics there are a lot of sharpshooting women that do very very well at it apparently women that's one thing where women do excel in is is in shooting um can do hmm. much better than than men uh, i think accuracy
1: i might have that my, money is, uh, my money is my money is there will be no trans identified males trying to uh, elbow into that sport then no <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's funny how it works. They always know who, who, which, which they know where they dominate. Yeah, they do. They do. They do. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you, um, recently in, well, let's, let's um, go back a little bit before the founding of your organization. The GRA came in in Ireland in 2015 um, and so it came in even um, before ours came in, our, um, our gender identity laws were added to the Human Rights uh, Act here in Canada. And I understand that in Ireland, the same tactic was used, that there was backroom deals, there was very little to no consultation with public about bringing in this legislation. Can you, can you fill us in on what's going on, what, what happened there?
1: Yes, yeah, so there was a consultation period, and it did go on for quite a long time. However, the recommendations from that um, advisory group was um, that they recommended a medical model. And it was only at the very last minute with the clock running down with weeks to go, that um, at the behest of activists, uh, various activists, that um, basically there was a great push um, to switch from the medical model to full self-ID, which, mm-hmm. as you know, has no medical gatekeeping and no safeguarding. Um, and it was framed as, oh, we must do this because of best international uh, practices, mm-hmm. meaning Jaggi Carta. But uh, as right. we know, that's not legally binding at all. But everyone fell for it at the time. Sure they did. Um, there was very speeches made. Women, there was nobody standing up for women whose rights were being given away. And... Um, and, and also it wasn't reported at the time. So to this day, five years later, what we're finding is that people, ordinary people in Ireland have no idea. They have no idea. In their mind, we are discussing a tiny number of um, post-operative transsexuals. Mm-hmm. Same and, in Canada. That's and, and we're not necessarily, I don't even think they, yeah. they realize that they will have um, access to, that they would have access to, single sex spaces, you know, sex segregated spaces. So they see it more when you discuss it with people. They, they really feel it's, oh, well, why wouldn't we let them, you know, um, self ID, like, why shouldn't they be recognized? But, yeah. you know, when you really drill down, what people are talking about is self-expression, you know, the right to be recognized socially. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think people I my feeling is and this is from um, all of our members talking to our members and and all of our followers, is that people do not generally... People generally want, um, you know, trans people to be able to self-ID socially, but not legally. There's a big difference. Because if you are... If any man, as we have now the case in Ireland, where any man can fill out a form um, and, and say they, they are a woman and they have access to all spaces that women have access to and all the legal documents are changed, including the birth certificate... Yep. And Irish people are only waking up to this now. Yeah. Is this the Barbie Kardashian character
2: or is it someone else? That is one,
1: that is, that is one, one example, but there were others. Yeah. Um, I have to be careful because there's a, there's a court order around the reporting.
2: Okay. We don't have to talk about this character. That's fine.
1: But I mean that to me, that is just um, a case in point of how there are no uh, checks and balances if if Mm. a very disturbed young person um can still be given a gender recognition certificate well then i would suggest anyone can there's no you know and we've we've looked into this my group has looked into this and um we can see no evidence of anyone ever being refused one and we can also see no ground they?
0: yeah
1: how could they refuse um, and
0: that is at least a very small bit of gatekeeping that you still have, and in Canada we're completely off the rails in terms mm-hmm. of any form of um, of gatekeeping whatsoever because we went directly to, and it, this started in, in in one of the pro- my province in Ontario in in twenty. 20- 12 and the same legislation was adopted federally in 2017 was that it's it is full gender self identification and expression there is no need ever to talk to any doctor government official or anything it's in the human rights act and it's in the Mm -hmm. criminal code now we have protection because our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which is our Constitution, which is the supreme law of the land, does not enshrine gender identity and expression and probably never will because they'll never open up the Constitution for something like that. So what we have to do is eventually get to a charter challenge where we're, we're challenging our sex-based rights. Mm-hmm um, to, against, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, rights, um, conflict with the gender identity, human rights act. Mm-hmm. So, but, but this is, this is really interesting because it, it, you know, when we look at the whole situation and we look at the pushback that's going on in Ireland, the UK, and with the G Scotland, Wales, the GRA, um, and gender, recogni- gender recognition certificates, at least you have that. You're pushing it back against that. We, mm-hmm. Ours is a, is a done deal and there is no absolutely zero gatekeeping. So if a man wakes up in the morning and says, I'm a woman and he doesn't even have to change his appearance, he doesn't have to do anything to his body medically, he can walk into a, a gym locker room and his yeah. human rights are protected to do that
2: and the i think the other distinction is when y- when you've reached the point that canada has where this is we're, we now have to hash this issue out by fighting through human rights tribunals or the court system to ensure that women's sex-based rights are protected there are casualties with every case that goes mm-hmm. to a tribunal or a court there are women who have their lives or livelihoods or mental health destroyed by these cases? Like, look at the aestheticians that lived in misery for over a year when they were yep. sued for not handling male genitals. Um, you know, behind every one of these cases, it, lawyers might say, "Well, it's it's interesting human rights law, and we'll figure out how to balance these rights um, by doing these cases." but how many women need to suffer and yeah. be victimized in the collateral. meantime?
0: Yeah, there's absolutely. Yeah, death.
1: I agree. Um, it's, um, it feels a little bit like the nuclear option, I think, because then if you lose as well, yeah. if you lose in this case, obviously your copper fastening. Um, uh, yeah. Initially, yeah. Um, it was initially, my idea would, be, would, would have been the same to have um, challenged the constitutionality or to go for judicial review. And that is happening in, in um, England and Wales. We are seeing a mm-hmm. slew of judicial reviews. And thank goodness various. for that. Good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But it's a slightly different
1: jurisdiction. Um, in, right. in Ireland, if you lose, you, can, you, you will have to pay adverse costs. So um, mm. it's, it's really high risk. Um, so that's a really
0: huge disincentive for any woman mm-hmm. or any law firm to want to go forward with it. Yeah.
1: um, I I think um, also it's important to time it correctly. You can go, you can um, bring your test case too soon. I think it's good to get um, some policy wins first. And with us, I mean, we are literally trying to get people to discuss this. We're trying to, we want to empower people Mm -hmm. to have the vocabulary and feel empowered to discuss The gender recognition act and how it impacts everyday life yeah and we are seeing that already you know within Mm -hmm. a few weeks of our launch we've been people have been approaching us we've got a lot of anecdotal evidence of um, male identified trans um people playing on female sports teams and none of this has been reported in the mainstream media but it's very important for us to know what's happening on the ground so you
0: launched back in september So you're only like a month into it at this point. Yeah, just under under a month. Yeah. So tell us about the launch and and how that went and who's who's involved your group and and what kind of response you're getting.
1: Um, Well, we we so back in probably January, I decided I wanted to. I just had this vision of like getting gender critical women who were based in Ireland together. And having a secret meeting, you know, at my kitchen table. And I just thought, that's what I have to do. I have to organize. Um, and I was moving back to Ireland, having been living, living in London for 20 years. And I had, you know, like lots of Irish people, I like, sort of cut my teeth in the gender critical um, discourse and movement in Britain, specifically on British Twitter. But I could see that that was fl- starting to flourish in Ireland. And I wanted to organize. So, um, we started to Zoom. It was during lockdown. And we had a Zoom every single week. And it just grew organically. And, and, and in fact, because of lockdown, we really had a lot of time to work up who we were, who we weren't, you know, what we mattered to us, what didn't, you know, even things like our style guide, like how we describe, you know, because it is, it's a minefield. Um, and our focus, and at the moment our our um our focus is quite broad but and we are still quite reactive, but we are also starting to really forward plan because what 's happened is the activists have um worked very well behind the scenes, and they have lobbied very well and so there 's a whole program of legislation that 's being pushed now, um, and so we are very concerned about these different bills there's a, a anti conversion therapy bill, which sounds really good on the face of it, but actually it will stop therapists looking into um, comorbidity around. um,
0: We're right in the middle of it here as well with bill six, right. And we're preparing briefs and we're organizing and strategizing, but they're ramming it through very quickly, much more quickly than they said they would do. And it's, they're using the same playbook as they did to ram through uh, bill C-16, which is the gender identity and Mm -hmm. expression um, it's it's the same, you know, it's the same strategy
1: that they're doing. Just yeah. push it, it. sounds like the yeah. same thing here where they yeah. where basically can um they've got everything teed up and then the bill will go through without any pre ledge scrutiny. Mm-hmm. So you have to be ready because like it's suddenly it's you know it can just be upon you. Um so yeah, our the, our we we then we met formally um in September and then we launched um a few weeks ago. And I mean, one of the reasons that we all got in touch was that you sort of reached out and said, oh, um, you know, congratulations to launch or something. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. um, it was really nice. It was so, it was just so, um, so um, inspiring, actually. The Isn't it the,
0: the global, like the global movement? <sighs> yeah. Isn't it invigorating? Like it's, I'm, I'm so yeah. excited by it. I feel like there's a new group
2: every week. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. there's a huge movement building.
1: It's really empowering to feel that you're part of a global mass movement, mm-hmm. you know, not just the grassroots movement in your own country, but this is a, a global raising of consciousness. And yeah, it's incredibly powerful. Um, and that's what gets us all through the dark moments, I think, you know. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. We're all finding each other. And yeah. you know, being Canada being geographically so so vast, um, you know, we, our experience in starting Cosbar was is very similar to yours in that we started having uh, weekly telephone calls, and we're spread out different time zones <laughs> and everything. Um, and so, even without lockdown, we 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 started this you know in late summer of of um, last 2019. year, 2019, right, mm-hmm. Amy? Yeah yes um, yeah. and it all and our uh inciting incident was the Yaniv, uh Mr. Wax my balls um, I think that's really what i mean we I think so many of us were looking at this situation and shaking our heads, but um but when that came in um that's when we all said okay enough and we were really watching the uk women and how powerful and strong they were and outspoken and we're like everybody yeah. was sort of looking at each other like online right amy saying like what where do is there a canadian version yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: and there wasn't much there was the you know little gidyvr team and i think cosbar was the second group to form in canada
0: i, I yes I, I think that's right of course we had we had megan murphy with feminist current leading the charge for several years prior and she she was at the senate um, um, testifying against uh, the legislation and so on and i had started following it right from then i was really i really came to the is- this particular issue even though i popped out of the womb a feminist and i didn't know it but <laughs> Um, and w- was, you know, feminist dissid- dissident many years when the third wave came in, um, I just had to turn away from it. But this really brought me back and I learned about radical feminism. Um, yeah. but, but what brought me to the Gender Identity and Expression Act um, was the free speech aspect of it. And, yeah. and not only just free speech, which is one thing entirely, but now we have compelled speech and now we've now we've gone beyond the beyond with compelled speech because that is a tactic of totalitarian and um and uh, and uh, dictatorial regimes is putting words in your mouth. Yeah, absolutely. So, right. Yeah,
1: I just read. I just read today actually, and it was so um, so chilling that um, they're they're trying to push through a hate bill in Scotland, and Scotland are you know, completely in the upside down there. They've really fallen over the edge of the cliff. Um, yep. England and Wales have obviously pulled back um, from full, se- full self ID. But their problem is they have de facto self ID like you t- you do mm-hmm. because of policy capture. So they're grappling with that. But in Scotland, they're just going full steam ahead. And um, so their minister was talking about um, the hate bill. And he said that even even table conversation in a family home, you know, will be captured in the scope oh, of the bureau. And I just thought, what? Are you kidding? And, really? and you know, some of our activists were, we were chatting about it today. And said, but how would they ever know what you said in your kitchen table? And I said, well, you know, in East Germany, the I'll staff tell you, yes, exactly. They encouraged ch- the children to actually yeah. report the parents, didn't they? My have head-
2: something similar do. in Canada with yeah. um, gender identity education for children in I think it's the province of Newfoundland here where there is a brochure and one page it's a quiz with multiple choice and there's a child sitting at home watching TV with their father watching the MMA fight with Fallon Fox and the woman who he it assaulted and broke her skull. So anyways, it's kind of saying to this child, You're you're watching this fight with your dad and your dad says that he doesn't think Fallon Fox is a woman. What do you do? Um and it yeah, it has very multiple choice answers, but it's insinuating that the child should report their parent for transphobia to the public school system. It's extremely it's creepy. Terrifying.
0: It's terrifying so My my husband's family, um, some of them are from West Germany and some are from East Germany. He visited his East German family, you know, back in maybe, I think it was after the wall came down. Yes, it would have been then. He went and visited them and they were still whispering. And like somebody said something, he was sitting around the uh, the dinner table with them. Somebody said something against the government and the mother shushed them wow. and and turn to like close the the windows because didn't want anybody to hear that's how that is how uh indoctrinated they were and and filled with fear that yeah. even even once even once they're free of it um it's so embedded in the culture
2: yeah it's funny
1: as well it's a very good example because um we we never saw this coming from the left you know we think of the mm. right as being ultra, um, you know, authoritarian or repressive or yeah. dictatorial, not the left and this caught us all unawares but actually Eastern Europe, obviously that was left, I mean that came yeah. from the left so yeah, there's probably a good few lessons to be learned there, I mean I have read and it does resonate with me, there's a lot of um, in common with this movement with gender ideology, gender extremism, there's a lot, of, uh, it, it shares a lot in common with the Maoist cultural revolution, mm-hmm. you know like the purity, spiral and the yeah. sort of casting out of the non-believers and yeah i mean it's good that we all have each other because it's I, I i've been doing a lot of thinking about this and you know you were asking me the last time we we chatted about you know are irish people um waking up on mass or is it
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: gradual and i and i and i think sometimes it's to do with um individuals as well like some people um it's to do with personality types you know and I, I do think that activists, wherever we are in the world, we probably are um, the early adopters and we probably, you know, see things and we can't not see them, if that makes sense. It absolutely and it can be does. Kind of lonely. That can be a bit lonely. So, you know, it's good that we have this incredible uh, solidarity between us, you know, um, yeah. I, I have an amazing group of women. Absolutely. and We all work together as a team. Like there's, you know, psychotherapists who are horrified by what's happening to So especially um, young gay young gay people, yeah. Um, And then there's you know hospital consultants, there's teachers, the students, um, parents, non-parents, gay, straight. I mean it's a real mix of people from all over Ireland, and you know incredible talent and passion. But I do think that probably people who get involved in this movement are, um, you know, it's I I do think we've the sort of personality where. Maybe we have too much empathy. I, I don't know if that's a bad thing. It's probably a really good thing. But, you know, you care deeply about things and you're not able to switch off. That mm-hmm. and a bit
2: of stubbornness, too.
1: Yeah, stubbornness. yeah
0: definitely. <laughs> <And> doggedness. For, <laughs> yeah, doggedness, bloody mindedness, all of, yeah. all of the above. And for me, I, I see the thread that runs through is the thread of standing up for the truth. Yeah, I think we all have that. I think we all have, um, whether we're coming at it from a women's issue or from a compelled speech issue or from a children's uh, safeguarding issue, it's all, we know the truth. We must speak the truth. We should not, this crazy making ideology, we will not submit to it. No, it's an
2: assault against reason. And we just... Mm-hmm. are not willing to put up with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what it is. It is resistance. It's, it's just saying, yeah. I won't do this. I won't do it.
0: You nope. know? I will I won't
1: not. Do it. And, yeah. and obviously, you pay a price. I mean, you know, um, a lot of our members work, um, well, the vast majority work discreetly because people yes. are really, really scared of losing their jobs, you know? Yeah. yeah. In 2020,
0: to stand up for women's rights you could lose your livelihood. What does that tell you right there?
2: I've recently had a local politician encouraging people to complain to my employer. So (sighs) it happens.
0: Yeah, it does. And you, I hope you, I hope you stay safe there, Amy. I'm, as you know, um, Leisha, I'm, this is my pseudonym for this, this work that I do. I am out on Twitter with my actual real name as gender critical, but for doing organizing work, I didn't think that I could take the risk right at the moment because I am, I work in media. I am self-employed. I will eventually perhaps want to go for public funding and I don't want to be blacklisted.
1: Yeah. You know, I think everyone has to just find their own, you know, like, just be comfortable with exactly yes. how they're doing this and, and even what angle you take. And because it has to come from your heart. I mean, it is, it, you know, like it, it's, we're, we're doing, we're doing this purely, um, you know, because we feel we have no choice. I mean, I, I, I often think we're, we're back to grand zero like the suffragettes, you know, this yeah. isn't yeah. some wave. This is not a wave. This is not a, a nuanced thing. This is literally to have our existence recognized in society and in law. It's, it's so... Um, it's so foundational. Existential. It's existential, yeah, critical. it's
0: foundational, it's critical, it's all of the above. It's, it's just, we, we lose this, we lose
1: everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I have, um, you know, three little girls and I feel like they don't, they're not even really aware. I mean, I do tell them bits and pieces, but, um, you know, I don't want them to grow up not even having their own toilets like not even having their own know. changing rooms not yeah. you know, um and, and and also i think it's really dangerous to to groom a whole generation of young women to ignore their instincts
2: yeah.
1: you know if a man walks into your space it's really rude and it's transphobic to question his presence there and so they a were smile. basically telling them switch off yeah. switch off all that protective yeah innate instinct that you're given Mm -hmm. yeah it's
0: it's counterproductive completely for for safety and well-being and mental health yeah so we've come up to the end of our time here but we could Talk for hours and hours and hours with you, Leisha. It's just such a pleasure, yes. and we will keep in touch, and we will have you back, and we want to come on your podcast when you have it up and running too.
1: Yes. Well, I invited you yes. in the first instance, but you yes. Got that first. Well, yes, yes, you know, no. to speak to the two of you. Yeah. Um, just before I go, I just wanted to flag up that um, I'm not sure if you knew this, but the we we've had a um, very very controversial bill go through, rush, rush through, uh, called the Mothers and Babies. Uh, homes and um, with um, the Countess, our organisation, we find it really um, important to always draw a line back to our recent past in Ireland and, mm-hmm. and I think it's really important to point that out that you know, we didn't just switch from being an ultra-Catholic theocracy to being this incredibly woke, progressive country overnight in yeah. fact, the same the same misogyny underpinned, underpins both systems yes, absolutely were women are shamed and erased and you know mm-hmm. i mean back then they were literally handed over and, and just put, incarcerated for life but um that wasn't i always point this out it wasn't the catholic church weren't you know an occupying army they were handed over by the families and the state paid for their upkeep of those women so it was it was a triad of you know society church and state and that's our recent past. I mean, that was probably for 70 years up until the 90s yeah. when the last homes closed. So we've segued from that to this, where, you know, it just seems yeah. it's so nice. Uh, on, the, on the face of it, it's all like unicorns and yep. rainbows. But, you know, you scratch the surface.
0: And it's an ideology again, right? And it's. And once again, women
1: and children have been thrown under the bus yep. at the behest of, you know, a powerful group of yep. unelected um, yeah. ideologues.
0: Yep. And yeah. a- elected, very good point. Um, Leisha, how can uh, uh, our listeners get more information about what you're doing
1: there? Well, we have um, a very, very active Twitter page, and the cantists didn't fight for this. And we have a website that's it's it's uh it's all there, but it's just been kind of souped up <laughs> so it yeah. look more your website. <laughs> um, and we've got Facebook. So there's lots of different channels to Excellent. us. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, we'd love to hear from anyone who wants to learn more about the Irish situation. And we would love to learn more about the Canadian situation. I mean, the one thing to note as well is that you said, at least we do have some kind of gatekeeping, but we don't see it in those terms. No, I mean, even that like,
0: what's going on there is bad enough, you know?
1: Like <laughs> you, you, yes, you do have to fill out a form, but no one ever gets yeah. refused. And if you are... Um, if you've got like convictions for child abuse or rape or in, if you're in the middle of live legal proceedings, mm-hmm. none of those things are barriers to getting a gender recognition certificate in Ireland currently. And we, yeah. we just um, we're horrified by that. Um, you know, it leaves women wide open. Um, it's just it, the whole system. I wouldn't even say it's, it's wide open to be abused. There just is no system, really. If anyone can fill out a form, well, then, sure. you know, why wouldn't they? To get access, of course.
0: Yeah, predators—they'll um, do yeah. anything.
1: <laughs> We're yeah. seeing more and more
2: that people are doing this.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, Lisha, thank you so much. Um, yeah. All the best. We're going to keep this dialogue going, and um, and it's such a pleasure to be working. With you yes. in the global pushback, <laughs> exactly side we by are. side
1: across across the water. Yeah. yeah, we're
2: watching from afar with deep admiration,
1: and uh, solidarity from everyone at the with Yes, with
0: we really admire your work. Thank you so much, and to you too. Great. Okay, take care, Alicia. Good night, and thank you. And good day, Amy. Yes, <laughs> You're still mourning you. for you there. Yeah, I'm really the monkey brilliant. in the middle here. So anyway, thanks so much. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. Gender Critical Story Hour is written and produced by Amy Hamm and Esme V. Intro music by Nahanda. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us your peak trans stories, how gender identity ideology has impacted your life, or just say hi and let us know your thoughts about the podcast. Write to us at GenderCriticalStoryHour at gmail.com. Tweet to us at GCStoryHour. Take care, keep strong, and keep talking. Bye for now.
2: Gender Critical Story Hour is sponsored by the Mythical Biological Female. I'm
1: your mom.